It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Today on the main entree, the Super Bowl is set. I recap both conference championship games and give a preview of the big game coming up in two weeks. We also talk about one of the stupidest coaching calls in NFL history and some Rockets talk as well. Also, some head coaching candidates are staying put in Ben Johnson and Bobby Slowick. We talk about that as well as a special guest. All that and more on the main Andre. Everybody. Welcome to the main entree. I'm your host, Trey Campbell. Let's talk about this week's conference championship games. First and foremost, let's talk about the AFC championship. We had the Ravens take on the Chiefs, and I think, in my opinion, was for the Super Bowl. I think one of these two teams will win it next week, and it was a defensive battle, and, you know, this Chiefs defense, it's been underappreciated, but they have carried this Chiefs offense all the way to another Super Bowl, and they did it again this week in the AFC Championship game. And you got to give Steve Spagnola a lot of credit. This defense was dialed in. They were making great plays. They forced those fumbles. They limited Lamar as a runner. They made Lamar throw the ball like they said they were going to do, and Lamar struggled. But overall, you got to give this defense a lot of credit. They didn't just shut down Lamar as a passer, and Lamar had some great throws too, but they limited him as a runner, and you know it worked out in the Chiefs' favor. The, Lamar was making some bad decisions, and, you know, it was tough to watch, but Lamar had some magical moments. Obviously, he caught his own pass. He threw that touchdown to Zay Flowers, but that was about all he really did as a passer. He had that one that one passing completion where he avoided the sack <clears throat> and got the completion. So, it was it was quite a game for Lamar. He he wasn't terrible. He went 20 for 37. 272 yards, a touchdown, and a pick, but he wasn't good enough. And overall, you know, the Ravens were just, I guess, outmatched when it came to offensively. You look at offensively, you take Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, and you put them head-to-head, and you think, man, both of these quarterbacks are once-in-a-generational-type talents, one as a runner and one as a passer, but like I said last week, you look at them both, and they're still pretty good at at running and passing. I mean, Mahomes is a pretty great athlete. We saw him 
scramble out of the pocket a little bit in this game. And Lamar is a trans transcendent generational talent when it comes to running. But Patrick Mahomes, many would say, is a transcendent generational talent when it comes to throwing. And Lamar is pretty good at throwing the ball. So we all know both of these quarterbacks had turnover issues coming out of their coming into the draft, but overall they both played pretty good. The 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 key play that kind of turned the game on its head was the Zay Flowers fumble, and that was kind of the end of it. Travis Kelsey played a spectacular game, 11 catches, 116 yards, including that incredible catch on Kyle Hamilton. He also had another big diving catch there as well. But this was a great game, I thought. Some people thought there'd be more scoring, me included. But the Chiefs proved why they've been in the Super Bowl so many times. This will be their fourth. And why Patrick Mahomes will be playing for his third in two weeks. I mean, you never count them out. They've got all these stars. They've got Isaiah Pacheco, who could have a big game. They got Travis Kelsey as well. But when you have the best quarterback in the game, a guy that can complete all but nine passes and a defense that comes out here and is one of the top defenses in the league, you have George Karloftis rounding into form. I think he got a snap. You have George Karloftis rounding into form. I think he got a sack. You have Justin Reed, one of the best safeties in the game. And you've got a tackle machine and Drew Tranquil who can come in and make plays between the numbers and and make stops. And obviously, you have one of the best players in the game and Chris Jones who struggled a little bit, but... You know, it was it was a great game for this defense. They were getting to Lamar, and they made him throw like they said they would. So, overall, I, I like what I'm seeing from this Chiefs team. I think they're the team to win the Super Bowl. Um, I got to give a lot of credit to Deion Bush, who came in when Mike Edwards went down and made the game-sealing interception. So, it, it just a, a great game for the Chiefs, and, you know, I'm really surprised that Steve Spagnola hasn't been considered more for head coaching opportunities. Now, I know he had that sort of bad stint with the Rams, but the way he called that defense was probably the biggest reason why the Chiefs won the game. I know how I know that Patrick Mahomes was awesome. I know that Travis Kelsey played like a Hall of Famer. He passed Jerry Rice for most catches in the postseason with 152. But I got to give a lot of credit to Steve Spagnola. Steve Spagnolia. I got to give a lot of credit to Steve Spagnolia for coming in here and making the plays that he did. And, you know, it was really impressive to see this defense show why they're here in this position. A lot of people kind of look as, at Kansas City and they see Mahomes and they think, oh, this is an offensive juggernaut. But this year it wasn't. So 
this defense will will be up there alongside some of the best defenses in history, I think, when it's all said and done. I know that, you know, they don't have the 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 best pass rusher like the 49ers do and Nick Bosa, but I, I gotta give a lot of credit to Drew or to George Karloftis for going out there and being the guy they picked him so picked so high from Purdue. So he's only going to get better. He had 10 sacks this year, and he's only going to get better with time. And he showed out in the AFC Championship game, and I expect him to show out again in the Super Bowl. So with that, let's talk a little bit of NFC Championship. Now this game, this game had a lot more. This game was a lot different than the the Chiefs Ravens. This was a game that the Detroit Lions fans are gonna look at forever and think, man, that that was the game we should have won. You know, that was a game the Lions should have won easily especially after that second half. They're up 24-7. to It's looking like you're on easy street. You're getting great production out of David Montgomery and Jamar Gibbs. Amon Ross St. Brown's making plays. Jamison Williams just caught a touchdown. So, Andy rushed for a touchdown, too. Your defense is playing great. I think they had the Malcolm Rodriguez interception. Uh, McNeil, who's been a star for the Lions this year, is playing awesome. He's got a sack. They're getting hurries. They're throwing Brock Purdy off his rhythm. And they're up 24-7 at the end of the first half. And then it just felt like the moment that the 49ers scored that touchdown to start the the third quarter, I was like, "Uh uh-oh, they're coming back, aren't they? And sure enough, they just kept chipping away. And after the third quarter, the Niner or the, the Lions didn't put any points on the board at all. They were they were outscored 17 to nothing in the third quarter. And it was a tie game by the fourth quarter. And, you know, the 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 Lions are just struggling to find any momentum. The 49ers go down the field and score, and it's now 27-24. The Lions are easily in field goal range. They can tie the game, keep it going, but what does Dan Campbell do? Maybe one of the dumbest plays I've ever Maybe one of the dumbest decisions I think I've ever seen in NFL history. You got three easy points that can tie the game, but what does he do? He goes for it on fourth and three. And shockingly, it doesn't work. Shockingly, it didn't work at all. It didn't even come close to working. So they miss out on tying the game. They turn the ball over. And of course, what do the 49ers do? They go down the field and score. And it makes it a 10-point ball game. So instead of getting the ball back, Going down the field and scoring the game-tying touchdown, the Lions go down the field to score a touchdown to make it a three-point deficit, thus forcing an an onside kick. And 
Guess what? The onside kick fails. George Kittle recovers the onside kick, and the 49ers run out the clock and advance to the Super Bowl. Truly one of the biggest displays of choking I've ever seen, and I used to be a Dallas Cowboys fan. So that's saying something. So if you're a Detroit Lions fan, you got to be just absolutely humiliated with all the things that have happened to this city over the years. It's got to be absolutely humiliating to have to go through that. You looking like you're going to be on the cusp of a Super Bowl and then to just completely collapse and fall apart and just give up on on even trying to win, you know, you would think, oh, conventional wisdom says we're in field goal range. I can easily make this field goal and tie the game and possibly have a shot to to go downfield and and score a touchdown to bring us to overtime. But, you know, now we're going to go for it. Now, granted, I know if they go down the field and score – and they and the Niners score again, and the and the Lions tie it. That doesn't guarantee the Lions are going to win in overtime. But this gives you a much better chance. And I just don't understand it. I still, to this day, don't understand it. It's right up there when they ran that two point conversion and they scored. And and instead of going for it, instead of just kicking the or the extra point against the Cowboys and understanding we have a chance to go to overtime, Dan Campbell just kept running the same play, and it kept failing, and ultimately it cost him a victory and a shot at the number one seed. So I I like Dan Campbell. Let me just say I like Dan Campbell. I think he's a fine NFL coach. I think that he does a lot for the culture of this team. But God, man, what are you doing? You got to play to win the game, as Herm Edwards says. And when you put yourself in that position, you you, you just, you, you can't, just because it worked once doesn't mean it's going to work now. And at this point, it didn't work. So, you know, I don't even give him credit for trying because that's just so stupid. There's no reason for it. So there you have it. The Lions are out. And, you know, it's it's a, an embarrassing way to end your season. But it's not all bad for the Detroit Lions. We'll talk about that on the next segment as their quarterback, as their offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, will be remaining with the Lions for the remainder of his contract. At least don't go anywhere. This is the main entree. All right, let's talk some more coordinator news in the NFL quickly. Let's talk some coordinator news. So today it was announced that Ben Johnson, Detroit Lions offensive coordinator, will be remaining with the Lions. He is staying after having all those interviews. It looks like he will be remaining on the Lions for at least the duration of his contract, uh, you know, and I, that's a huge sigh of relief 
for the Lions. I think the commanders were en route to Detroit to talk to both Aaron Glenn and Ben Johnson. And, you know, it didn't work out. Apparently the asking price was too high and that was a big deal for Johnson. A big deal breaker for a lot of teams is what the salary he was asking for. Uh, I think Josina Anderson mentioned it a, a couple weeks ago and you know, I, I think we talked about it. Some team's going to have to pay him because look at what he just did. Look at how he's been constantly turning around this Lions offense. He's taken Jared Goff, a guy that many disregarded as kind of leftover trash from that Matthew Stafford trade and turned him into a quarterback that led this team to the NFC Championship and, you know, nearly on the doorstep of the Super Bowl. So, you know, I think that this is um sort of a, a a big deal for the Lions to be able to keep him, you know, and he'll get another year to sort of weigh his options and maybe something better will come up for Ben Johnson, but you know, for right now, this helps the Lions out a lot. They keep the band together. I don't think Aaron Glenn will remain on that team. I think he's got some interviews lined up as well Aaron Glenn their defensive coordinator but you know it's uh it's it was abrupt according to Adam Schefter and surprising but overall I get why he made this decision to stay where he is and you know you're on a better team you have a better shot with a better roster to make a Super Bowl and I would want to stay too I don't think the Seahawks or the Commanders even considered him the head coach or, or a head coach, a head coaching favorite for their team simply because he kept asking for too much money. But overall, I think next year, if he's able to do it again, then maybe he gets a better deal. Maybe somebody retires. Maybe a job that nobody expected to become open becomes open and he can fill that spot, you know? So I don't know. I, I think that um, it, it's it's a smart move for the long term, but overall you never really know with football. It's so unpredictable. So if this works out good for the Lions, he's got a lot of confidence in himself to not take a job. and But overall, you know, we never know. It's a it's a it's a game that any given Sunday, as they say. So another coordinator that did pretty much the same thing today, Bobby Slowick, also turned down a few head coach or turned down all the head coaching jobs now as he's officially going to stay with the Texans for next year. Um he'll get a significant raise. Uh we broke that on the A team. Um I was the one that broke that, not to brag or anything. But, um, yeah, overall, you know, this. I think that this is great to see that the McNair family are coming out here and they're keeping everybody together. And it seems like, you know, they're caring about football again. They didn't just give uh, Slowick a deal. They gave Gerard Johnson a deal. And, you know, if the defense gets better next year, Matt Burke will be considered – a head coaching candidate and I'd imagine they'll have to give him a deal, but 
I give a lot of credit to this ownership for saying, you know what, we want to keep everybody here at least for another year. And it's obvious. Bobby Slowick is not going to be the head coach of the Texans. But the fact that, you know, they've made this decision, they've given him a raise, and they have Gerard Johnson, their quarterback coach, waiting in the wings who also got interviews for OC jobs, it's a great way to plan for the future. You know, we're going to pay you a lot more than we were going to pay you for this year of service. And if you decide to go to, you know, if you decide to go somewhere, maybe a team like the Saints, if they decide to cut bait with Allen, or if the Eagles blow it again, maybe they'll get tired of Sirianni, and you decide to go there and, and take one of these head coaching vacancies, we have a guy that we are confident can come in and run this offense and Gerard Johnson. So they gave them both raises and kind of uh, ensured their their higher their their heir apparent to Slowick should he leave. So I, I think this was smart business for the Texans. Now again, anything can change. Anything can change. Now uh, there's a chance that the Texans could not have the season we thought that you know they could they could have a bad season next year. So Overall, um, I like what they did, and that's you know that's relevant to the city here. These guys are huge building blocks for our our team, the Houston Texans, um, or the city's team. But um, yeah, everybody, the coaching carousel is kind of coming to an end, and we got the Super Bowl coming up. And, you know, everybody's kind of filling out their staffs. I think I saw the Chargers um, announced today that they were hiring their new GM. Their new GM is Joe Horitz. Uh, I think Horitz was the former Ravens executive, and they're always a good team, so that'll be good. Hopefully the ownership group of my new favorite team will let him go out and make trades, and they won't try and short some of these free agents, you know, like they've done in the past. That's what the Chargers have done. They've been extremely cheap. So hopefully they can go sort of um, in a different route and kind of do what they need to do like the Texans have done to sort of make this team competitive. And it isn't going to be easy in the AFC West, you know, and your team is not in a very good position Salary cap wise. You know, I mean, the Chargers right now are 29th in cap room. I think that they're what they have their negative 44 million in cap space. So there's going to have to be some hard decisions to be made for this new GM. You know, they might have to move some contracts around. I don't think they'll move Mike Williams around, but he signed a massive deal, you know, and there's a lot of a lot of te- a lot of players on this team that are making a bunch of money, you know, like like Joey Bosa or, you know, like like um, Khalil Mack or you know, a lot of these players are they have these massive contracts like Eric Kendricks and all these guys, and you're going to have to move them around. 
to get out of cap hell. And not to mention, you're going to have to re-sign Justin Herbert in the not-too-distant future. So that's going to be a massive priority for the Chargers this this offseason is getting younger and building, getting out of this cap situation, you know? You've got Keenan Allen, who's making $18 million a year, and, you know, he's struggled to stay on the field. When he's on the field, he's incredible. He's one of the best wide receivers out there. But you can't keep him on the field. You got Khalil Mack, who's still pretty good, but he isn't what he used to be. And you have Bosa on the other side to kind of take up all the pass rush, and you can just go get another pass rusher and, and pay him significantly less in the draft. And, you know, you could you could cut bait with that $17 million contract that Khalil Mack is making or that $18 million contract that Keenan Allen's making. I don't think that they're going to cut Keenan Allen because he's the best receiver on the team. I know Mike Williams is good and he was hurt this year, but from what we've seen from Quentin Johnston, you know, you're going to you're going to need one of those guys cuz he didn't have a very good year this year. You got Josh Palmer on a pretty good deal. You might have to re-sign him pretty soon if he continues to to show out and be the guy that you think he can be. Uh he had a good year this year, Josh Palmer. So you you know, it's it's salary cap hell for our Los Angeles Chargers. Corey Lindsley might retire. He's making eleven million a year. So there's a lot to a lot to to fix for the Chargers. But overall, I'm confident they usually figure it out. Hopefully, he can bring in a good cap guy. Um, I'd hate for my new favorite team to struggle, but overall, that. It's it's going to be one of those years to where the free agency is going to have to be them cutting costs. And, you know, I think you can say that about a lot of different teams. There are a lot of, like the Saints, they're always in cap hell. The Dolphins are in cap hell. All that money they gave to Tyreek and, you know, all those all those other players. You got, you had to, you're paying Jalen Ramsey's contract. Bradley Chubb, all those trades you made. The credit's coming back. You got to pay Jerome Baker. You got to pay Tua. You know, Tua's already making $23 million a year. So it's it's going to be tough for a lot of these teams to try and get out of this cap situation. But I'm confident they can do it. I mean, they usually are able to. So, you know, it, it's like I said, I wouldn't be shocked if Jalen Waddell, who's only making – Five million a year says I'm not getting paid enough. I'm only making like I'm only making eight million a year. I should get more. I'm one of the best receivers in the game, and it's hard to argue it. I mean, obviously you got Tyreek on the other side. You give Tyreek a blank check, and you just say whatever you want to do, man. But overall, it, it's it's tough for a lot of these GMs, you know, to get out of this cap situation and. That's what the Chargers are going to have to deal with with this new guy, Joe Horitz. But, you know, I guess he helped negotiate Lamar's deal. So in that, he's got experience dealing with quarterback contra- or quarterback contract extensions, and that'll come in handy 
when it comes to Justin Herbert. So moving on, uh, let's talk some basketball. What a victory yesterday for our Houston Rockets over the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers played great. I mean, their defensive output this year has been middle of the road, very middle of the road, and that was evident yesterday as the Rockets were pretty much just destroying them. Uh, Cam Whitmore had that massive dunk, and, you know, you got to feel pretty good about Jalen Green and his production yesterday as he had 34, 7, and 12. So you got to feel really good about his assist numbers being up and his rebound numbers. I think the unsung hero of the team had to have been Fred Van Fleet because Fred Van Fleet was distributing the ball. He played the traditional point guard role and obviously you got Cam Whitmore coming off the bench, getting you 20, you know, leading the charge for that second unit. You got to feel really good about Jabari Smith's development as he gets better each day, becomes a more rounded basketball player. He had nine rebounds, four assists, and 18 points. But overall, it was Jalen Green and Alfred Shingoon. And the fact that Alfred Shingoon got 30 again, almost got a, a triple-double, and Jalen Green, both of their numbers were so similar, that just goes to show you how good of a distributor Fred Van Fleet was yesterday. You know, Fred Van Fleet played the role of a traditional point guard, and he got the guy, got it, got the ball to the guys that scored the most, and, you know, it, it helped the Rockets win. And a lot of that you can credit to Ime Adoka, you know. I give a lot of credit to the system he's run and how much he's changed this the culture of this team. And, you know, a lot of that we didn't see with Silas. I think I don't think Silas was as hands-on or as as tough with these guys that he should have been. I think that Silas came into a job where he thought he'd have James Harden and maybe Russell Westbrook, and then they traded him because Harden decided to throw a fit and, and demand out because he didn't get what he wanted, whatever that was. So I feel for Silas, he was kind of used as the scapegoat there. But overall, Ime is doing a better job at unlocking these players and um, you know unlocking the potential of how good they can be. It's funny, Gilbert Arenas and, you know, uh, Kenyon Martin had a good conversation about this, and also I'm kind of, you know, running out of things to say, so you know what that means. Here comes a clip. This is Kenyon Martin and Gilbert Arenas talking about Ime Adoka changing the culture of the Rockets. Rockets are 22-24 and 24 so far this season, have already matched their win total from last season. Has Ime Adoka officially changed the culture in Houston? Feels like Ime's come in. But again, you don't have the same players there. You can't trade, you can't change the team up and then. Uh, even when they, I, I said this, even when they would have had the same team, mm -hmm. it would have been different mm -hmm. having Ime there. Yeah. Right. I just, I, I just thought that. Because it's just the talent that they had, there was no. They was losing too much for. Yeah, it was just, it was, it, it was, there was no respect for Silas. Yeah. What I saw, right? A lot of talent, but there was no, so it's hard to coach that. 
when when you don't have the locker room. And I think Emmy would have came in, he would have demanded that, and and certain guys wouldn't have been able to play for him. Mm-hmm. With the t- same team, certain guys wouldn't have been able to play. So that's they, so therefore they made they made the moves because of certain things. But I just you know you still yeah you got Tyree still there, Jabari, Sangoon, J- Tate, Jalen Green. Mm-hmm. They got them. so it's still. And they only had Eric Gordon. But those wasn't the <clears throat> those wasn't showmakers. No. Yeah. <laughs> but it was only but it, but it, it wasn't. <laughs> The whole team wasn't was. Trouble, I know that's what I'm saying. The whole so, team so the thing, was just a so few. The whole, the whole, no, it wasn't even a few. Just one. Yeah. So, <laughs> just, so like, yeah. like the, the, whole, the whole team wasn't troublemakers. It was, but they were so young with no guidance, mm-hmm. right? You put some guidance with. They were the one. Ma the same team they had last year, right? If Ma Dakers, if Ma Udoka is that coach, they win more than 22 games. Last year, how many more? But they win more than 22 games if he's with the same talent, because he has the locker room. He, de- he, he's going to demand certain things mm-hmm. in the locker room because of how he is, in a tree of coaching that he come from, and and he's standing on business. Okay, see, I don't. So know. that's what I, I know. Yeah, but it, you got to add to, add to Dylan Brooks, somebody who's outspoken, who's played on teams where everybody's accountable, and you you add uh, Fred, which are two like vets that can actually come. Yeah. Beside Eme and say, yeah. yeah, you know what I'm saying. Eric Gordon was probably the only vet, and he didn't say anything. He he not a speak. He need not be yeah. saying nothing. So it's like they can walk over him too. Like man, you, you know what I'm saying. Two guys playoff experience. Yeah. So no. now it's like you got three guys in the locker room that's gonna be like, hey, young fella. Three guys, a headache gone, and yeah. a, a year older. That's why I said it's. And you get a point yeah. guard in there. Like, like, I thought somebody like Mike Conley would have been yeah. perfect for the yeah. team that they had last year. Mm-hmm. For sure. Bring somebody in, settle that shit down, get the ball where they need to, let Jalen be who he is, let the guy. It would have been perfect. So that's interesting that they both thought that. I think it was uh, Keon that thought that um, the Rockets would be around the same as they are now with last year's guys. I don't know if I agree with that. Like, I don't know if I agree with all of that because, you know, at that point, last year, the Rockets, when they kind of when they kind of gave up, they had some competitive games. But overall, you know, they were they were trying to to start the process. You know, they were praying for Victor, as the owner, uh, Telman Fertitta said, pray for Victor. So. They were trying to sort of lose more and hope to get that number one overall pick to get Victor Wimbanyama. But overall, I agree with everything else. Ime Adoka has brought in a lot of guys that can sort of steer this team in the right direction, not just on the court with Fred Van Fleet and, you know, adding that dynamic defender and sort of a your enforcer Pat Bev type player and Dylan Brooks and adding a distributor like we mentioned with Fred Van Fleet. But overall, you know, he he added assistant head coaches that I think can apply more guidance to these guys like Tiago Splitter, bringing in a guy that used to play, you know, and, and, and sort of moving on and and kind of, you know, obviously he's the guy in charge and he's going to show tough love to to Jalen Green. He's going to bench him when he's having poor shooting nights like we've seen him do before. But 
you know, it's good to see that he brings people on the staff that can sort of add better guidance for these guys than Steven Silas did. With all respect to Steven Silas and with all respect to John Lucas, you know, they didn't they weren't hard on these guys. So you bring in old school type basketball players like Royal Ivy and Tiago Splitter and, and all these guys that you might have played with or came across in the past. It it it's gonna help out. Not to mention Mike Moser, a guy who's been uh on with you on the Celtics bench. He's here kind of helping out and I like the I like what the staff that Ime Adoka has built. So I, I give him a lot of credit. And I think, yeah, he did change the culture of this team. And that's what they needed. And now it seems as if their future is brighter. Even though they didn't win the ping pong game. They didn't win the Victor or they didn't win the Victor Wimbenyama sweepstakes. But Overall, there's a lot to look forward to, and last night was a prime example of that. Not only are you getting emerging stars, or uh, you're not only are you getting productivity out of Cam Whitmore, but Tari Eason has looked great. Uh, Jabari Smith has rounded into a better player, and you know you don't. They're all young, and you could continue to mold them. I know Tari hasn't played, and Dylan Brooks is coming off that injury, but he's looking great. So you you have two type of players that you can you can sort of be here to help lead um, a player like Alfred Shingoon or Jalen Green into the star that we think that they could be. So I'm excited to watch this team grow. Tomorrow they take on the New Orleans Pelicans. That'll Surely be a good game. I mean, obviously, Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson are hard to stop. So I don't know if they'll win this one. But, it, you know, any like I said, any night they can show up and be good. So you never know. So I'm looking forward to, to, to paying attention to that one and seeing how our Rockets do. Coming up, I got an interview with Jay Cookie, one of my favorite comedians, one of the best comedians in the city don't go anywhere this is the main entree Hey everybody, it's Trey Campbell here, the host of The Main on Trey. I'm joined by one of my favorite people, one of my favorite comics in the city. Uh, some people know her as Miss Julia Cook, but I know her as Jay Cookie. Yeah. How you doing today, Miss Cookie? Hey, I'm doing good. What up, Trey? You know, just the works. I can't complain. A um, yes. lot of shit's going on here in the Houston comedy scene. Mm. Yes, um, it is. <laughs> but uh, and with you being one of the, my favorites around the city, I kind of wanted to talk to you about comedy and just kind of how you got your start and, you know, everything before, I guess. I'm down. Of course. Yes. So where did it 
where did it kind of start for you? Like when was, did you, did you always kind of want to do comedy or was it, was it kind of like something that you found on accident or? Yeah. Uh, I really want to be like, it all started in a church. You know, I used to make jokes around my church. My family is well known in the church. We serve the Lord. And, uh, it is. Okay. I play it. Can I cuss? Yeah. Yeah. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> okay, okay. No, but for real, uh, I really comedy. I didn't even know it was comedy. Okay. If I just want to be real, I've always been funny. But if you want to ask me when I just, you know, everybody know I started doing comedy after I was on the Judge Mathis show. But comedy I've been doing since I was a kid, man. <laughs> and my grandpa funny. So it's low key in my family. Yeah. So you mentioned the Judge Mathis show. What was the process like for getting on that? Like, I know you've talked a lot about that on stage, but for some of the people that are just now finding out about you, kind of, what was that process like going on and, and signing up and just the, the taping and everything? How did that go? Uh, yeah, so signing up, signing up was easy. You just go to their website and you apply. And uh, coincidentally, they called me back like quick, a week or so. And they told me they had space if I was down to come. And I was like, yeah. So the only thing they had to do was call the defendant. And if she was cool with going, they said we could go. And, uh, yeah, she was cool with going. And so we was we went out there like the next week. So you, that was in Connecticut, I believe, right? No, that's uh. So you think about Jerry Springer? Yeah. Uh, no, uh, Judge Mathis is in Chicago. That's cool. That's yeah. so. That's not too bad of a of a turnaround, I'm guessing. Did y'all fly out there? Like, yeah, flew out there. Uh, and they they only keep you there for like a day, though. You know, you come out, spend a night, and then you go back right after the show. Yeah. So so I guess did you ever kind of see like a bump from that? Like did. Did did people come up to you and say, "Hey, I saw you on the Judge Mathis show. That was that was cool or whatnot." Or how how was that afterwards? I'm like, oh God, I hope they didn't see the show. I was so embarrassed by that doggone show. I I was mad. My grandpa called me talking about, "Yeah, I see your show." I was like, oh Lord. But um, now what, what was that question again? Because you said, did did I get a bump? Yeah. I mean, internally, like in my own mind, a little bit because. Uh, I guess I'm a loner, and I encourage myself a lot. I could be crazy. I don't know what it is. I talk to myself. God talk to me. I don't know. So I'm just saying that when I went through the Judge Mathis show and I saw how somebody felt important for arguing with me, like, she she felt important. So that told me something. And then she wasn't getting views on her videos just by herself. But as soon as she said my name, that let me know something. You know what I'm saying? And then... The third thing was is, was how she argued with me about the facts of my life. See, that let me know that I'm a celebrity because people will argue with you about what they read in the blogs. Like, how you going to tell me me, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that's what that was. So, yeah, that's that's the only, that's how I started to rise because I started to, you know, peep stuff like that. So when did when did uh, stand up kind of start for you? Did you start like uh, I know you started rather recently? I think I think yeah. we started about the same time. Yeah, it's about two years ago. But see, look, I was on the Judge Mathis show maybe about three or four years ago, and um, when I first came back from the show, I told myself to just try all my talents. You know, what I, what do I have to lose at this point? And uh, I I did a rap concert. It was great. And then I had tried comedy at the improv, but I never knew how I could come up with another joke. So it took me six months to come back. And then when I came back, I had another joke, but it wasn't like a set. It was just one, one jokes, you know? 
And um, and then I went over there to like someplace off of 45 and bombed so bad that I didn't come back for like two years. And through those two years, I was talking to myself. I was like, when are you going to come? When are you going to come? And I was trying to encourage myself with all these different things. But ultimately, when when I lost my husband, first it was my side boyfriend in my story. Yeah. The side boyfriend had, he, he kind of hit me with a time is short. Like, you know, life can come fast. Like, life can end fast. I don't know. He reminded me that it was timing, you know. Yeah. And then when the husband died unexpectedly, is like now I'm dealing with unexpected. Like that's how life can end, like quick yeah. and unexpected, you know. And so whatever I had in me, I just was like, I better go ahead and do it. And like when my husband died, I just I started doing it because I think when when if you know when you become a widow, because I'm a widow, yeah, a little bit. Even though I was going through a divorce, the divorce never happened. He died in the middle of the divorce, right? And um, I think you know he was like a rock to me. So it was kind of like I lost my pillow, I lost my soft place in life, and um, and I was a I was a mother, so I don't know. I just started taking chances, I guess. Yeah, that's that's good to hear. Like um, that. You know, you were able to kind of find comfort in doing comedy, I guess, and yeah. in, in the, I guess, in the trauma of losing two people that were close to you. That's definitely an interesting arrange arrangement. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I, I'm sure you you've mentioned your husband was supportive of you through through all things. I'd imagine. Yeah, he was pretty cool. That's why sometimes I think I do it in memory of him. Yeah. Even though I talk about his size and all this here, I still and I say he a little special. You know, I still do it. In, I still love him. That's the um. That's the interesting part. A lot of people who haven't like um seen your set, you know, they see that that kind hear that kind of stuff, and it's. Pretty incredible how a lot of people can't openly talk about a lot of things, but I, for Jay Cookie, it's just right out there. Oh, but you know, I think what what I'm learning that might have come from is uh, I low-key was a black sheep in my family. I don't know. That's like where that one family member don't nobody really talk to. And it ain't necessarily because of something I did or maybe it was. I don't know what made people give up on me early. So I was, in a sense, estranged from my family. Even though we cool, that I just identify like that, right? And I think by me being like that is what gives me the freedom to not be a people pleaser, you know, and just be yourself. You know, I don't have to, like, get anyone's permission. Yeah. So, so I can't even though that like what what I was going to say, like comedy also showed me that what hurts me is funny. So sometimes, you know, the things that used to hurt me that it, it just don't hurt no more. It makes sense now, you know, why I had to be isolated. So because you see the type of comedy I do, you got to be on your own. You got to be on your own focus. You can't be real. I can't I can't listen to nobody because people going to take away all my jokes. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be unique. I get what you're saying. You have to be unique because if you go out there and and do like, I guess, you know, jokes that are are not as unique, they're going to go out and try it and and copy you, I'm guessing. Probably. Yeah. And then me personally, I can't think like that. I just have to go what's in my gut. I can't like the type of artist I am, because even in my when I write songs, 
uh, I have to go with the first line I think of. If I think about what I'm thinking about, it will never happen. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't know if that's my learning disability or what, <laughs> you know, but I have to go with the first thing that's in my head. That makes sense. And you just kind of build off your first thought. Uh-huh. Yeah, I get what you're saying. A lot of the times for me, like, I get I get to where, like, I'll think about stuff and I'll get way too far out. Ha. And I won't even remember where I started. You know, it's it's so it's such a struggle. I've been there before. I, I've come from that place. Yeah, <laughs> I've I noticed that a lot of the material you kind of do is is not so much. It seems like it, it's all true. Like it's <laughs> it all comes from truth, and a lot of people can't do that. <laughs> I know, right? It seems like it's a gift. I, I feel like. Being yourself is a gift. You know how a lot of people we be out here looking for your gifts and stuff, and the Bible even says your gifts will make room for you. But I don't think a lot of people think that being yourself could be a gift, and that's something that I am gifted with. I think. Yeah, and that and that's I think the 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 most important part about being a comic is that if you can make what your day to day is funny, then it's always gonna. I mean, they can't ever take it away from you. It's yeah. always going to be funny. And that's why I come out often to practice how to talk my day-to-day. And also, I was going to say something when you asked me about the truth in my comedy. Uh, yes, often my stories are true, but I like being so real to where they don't know where I might have threw a couple false ones in there, though. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I do have a couple false falsies that I, you know... I want to call it like a frisbee, you know. But yeah, like, yeah, the falsies. Yeah, that the, the the saying is never let the truth get in the way of a good joke or Amen, a good story. Somebody, yeah. But if the joke is ninety five percent real, I mean, yeah. there's and they can't tell, then mm-hmm. it's not really getting in the way of anything, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that's that's my favorite part about seeing you do comedy. Obviously. When you go up with the, some of the props you have, <laughs> it's hard to 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 look away too. <laughs> so that's cool. But yeah. I, I was wondering, like, you have the some props, and some people could see that and pigeonhole you into one sort of. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, that's got to be frustrating, I'd imagine. Yeah, you know, but you can't let it get to you. Sometimes when you're a comic, you just have to be a strong person. It's almost like being an entrepreneur. You just have to do what's best for your business. And, um, yeah, people always try to minimize you. I'm like, man, like, say, for instance, I did 20 minutes or 10 minutes. I say, for instance, I did 10 minutes. And uh, eight of them was straight jokes. The the dildo, I'm sorry, but, the like, the toy bit is uh, the last two minutes, the last minute and a half. If I did nine minutes and the last minute is the toy bit, why would you call me, you know, a prop comic? You know, but I think it's just a way to try to disrespect. I'm not sure if it's because I'm a woman or what. People just always try to minimize what you're doing. And I just, that's why sometimes I say when people see me out here, they don't know how strong I have to be. I mean, you probably already assume I'm strong because of my, you know, who I am. But then you have to be strong again in who you are, like a little bit out here. Yeah, it's very tough out here, especially with a lot of the section of people that are trying to stir up drama and stuff mm-hmm. and trying to figure, like, oh, like, oh, he stole my joke. Yeah, or that's it- all weird. I don't, I don't necessarily, I, okay, I kind of believe in stolen jokes, but I don't always believe in like stolen jokes. Like, if you talk about your mother in the grocery store, and, like, I have a mother in the grocery store. Like, you know, like, 
we can have the same topic. Like, like just because you talk about President Trump don't mean I can't talk about President right. Trump. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I'm saying sometimes when people be trying to be like, you stole my joke when right. it's just like, like we can have the same, like, I don't know if it's called like the premise. Yeah, you the know, premise. I don't, I don't want to have anything like another person, but I'm just saying we can have similar stories. We can have similar experiences. I, you could have been raised in the church. I could have been raised in the church. Just because you go up there and talk about your raising the church jokes don't mean I can't. Because let yeah. me tell you something. I, when I first started doing comedy a little bit, I did this obituary joke, right? Uh, where I pull out the obituary and I say, oh, bitch, you know, because yeah. they, the, they put the husband, they put my husband's uh, wife, which is me, and his mistress in the obituary, right? But what I'm saying is somebody came and told me, oh, so-and-so does that joke, a joke similar to that. Yeah. And I don't even know so-and-so. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or, I, like, even with my dildo bit, somebody going to tell me somebody in New York doing it. I ain't, I don't know that person. You know? So that's what I'm saying. Like, that, when it get petty like that and stealing jokes, I don't respect that. But there are some people. I've had a guy one time steal my joke in my face. Like, I had a, uh, uh, like, a uh, oral eating joke, you right. know? And uh, the guy, he started telling the joke, but he would say it like he went to my school. He was like, I went to Jay Cookie school. And then he would say my. Yeah, that's just verbatim. bad form. I was like, well, I, I, this is, I didn't know how to take that because I'm like, so you just going to steal my joke right in my face? Like yeah, that? yeah, that's, that's I know you, ballsy. And then, look, he was giving me praise. He said he went to my school like he would shout me out. But that would make me feel even more great. Like, not you shouting me out and then going to steal the joke. It was weird, but I love that dude, and, uh, you know, I don't take it personal. But a lot of these people, though, like, they don't... What I don't like the most about some comics in Houston is they act like they're they're the first ones to do something. Or <laughs> like, it just seems really kind of annoying that they yeah. just want to cut people down, and they're like, oh, man... I'm, yeah, it's like I'm getting, I'm not getting booked. It's like who cares? Just, that's why. I, that's why I don't even try to be friends with too many people. Like I know people know me, but I ain't trying to be nobody's friend really a little bit. Cause you then you get tied up in the in the toxic tox. Look, I can't never say that word. Yeah. Toxicity of people, and I ain't got time for that. Yeah, you, especially with at the rate that you're going, you already you won that contest. You have sort Thank of your. Your own so show and everything. You're going at a at a rate exponentially faster than a lot of these people are, and it's that's it, crazy. Yeah, I know, but I'm still just you know uh, trying to keep a level here and figure out how to monetize and stuff like that, you know, and try to get to the next level. Cause I I wouldn't want to be just running around here in the city. But at the end of the day, I just try to not even have an expectation a little bit. Uh, Cause I maybe I just started as a hobby, you know. Because and I just want to share this because when I was 16, they used to think I was gonna be a star. When yeah. I was 16, Cause I used to be an actress, you know. Really. I used to be acting. And um, but then my life life started life, and I had a baby uh, at a young age. I sacrificed my dreams, got married, thought that was the dream, and then that didn't work out. And then now a, this kind of dream came back to me right now. And I don't—dreams can torture you yeah. because if you have them, if you're thinking that you're big and you have all these great dreams, and but you're living regular, you know, and everybody's disrespecting you, like, what's the purpose of having a dream then? Like, you know— so I don't know. That's why I say I don't. I don't even really like dreams. I gotta make sure they come true. You know, I say the one thing I don't want to be is a wannabe. I ain't trying to be no wannabe out here. I never even thought I would be 
like doing all what you said. I just did, you know. But uh, so the, I said because I just wanted to try it. So that's that's my concept. I just keep trying. And people be like, no, you're doing it. But no, I'm, I'm still trying, man. Yeah, and, and it, it's a never-ending battle. I mean, it's a it's a, it's a a mountain you have to climb every day. But overall, you've, you've got the, the presence to command the room a lot better than most people can say. And I think, I think that's pretty cool. That's cool you mentioned acting. What kind of stuff did you do before, like, in, in movies and stuff? Or was it, like... No, it was mainly, uh, like, stage plays for my church. Nice. And, and I'm going to uh, be in a stage play coming up. Oh, really? May 11th. I just got uh, signed on. as I'm, So I'm going back to acting a little bit. Yeah, that's cool. That that'll be that'll be great. I, I'd imagine for comedy and everything, but just because it, it seems like something you love to do. Yeah, I, I suppose you know memorizing scripts and all that is hard, but we'll 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 just see how it is. Yeah, you, you've mentioned uh, your faith a lot. Like when it comes to your faith and you know and God and everything, how has it been? You know, kind of adjusting to people that are different in comedy because I know a lot of people are have different beliefs. How has that been as an adjustment for you? Do you yeah. just pray for them and just go? <laughs> I ain't praying for nobody, especially if they don't believe in the God. I swear, I ain't, you know. But now, now I definitely don't judge, you know. And um, I'm one of them people that can be around anybody. Like we could talk about Hinduism, Buddha, Buddha. I don't even know the the religion, but you know it's like I don't mind learning about different people, so I don't hate. But can I tell you what an atheist told me one time? Uh, so there was this girl working at this one bar that I do comedy at, and um, she she told me that she was raised atheist, like, and it was like so strong her dad wouldn't even let her ask questions. Like if she had a question, he was like, no. But and so she but she still had questions, you know, and she's an adult now. And uh, she, but she told me, she said, when I look at you on the stage, I think I can, like, she kind of hit me with, I, I can see God. Yeah. And that, I was like, yo, that was, appreciate you, because uh, it ain't easy, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's, that's, yeah. That's so. got to be a great compliment to get, though, when somebody it. says something like that. You yeah, know? you know, because, I mean, you know, sometimes you be having, you, you don't know sometimes, you know, you're not sure. So comments like that always kind of help reassure you a little bit yeah it's definitely easy to doubt yourself in this business <laughs> yeah. es especially if a, a set doesn't go good yeah. or you know somebody shows up to your open mic and yells the n-word really <laughs> loud <laughs> but, uh, but that that wouldn't have missed with me you yeah know, with my confidence uh but yeah, yeah, those that type of incident, the N word ain't gonna never discourage me no of bad course not. sit no bad sit encourages me uh, discourages me. What I was going to say was that um, I forgot. <laughs> that happens. <laughs> but it was just something about, like, when you said the compliment and, um, and you know, because I don't know. It's just that I'm just growing into myself, basically. Yeah. I'm, like, you know, you could have been, I, I probably was lied to most of my life on who I was, you know, and I'm finding out I'm not that bad. Yeah. That's and, basically what it is. So. And it's good to, to find your self-approval, you know, like you, regardless of what people said. Amen. Yeah, it's that when you find your self-approval, it's like it's 
I guess it's it just feels like you've lifted a whole weight off your shoulders. I is you know I'm still working, but comedy for me is like contrast to my reality. Like in my reality, I could be searching for validation, but comedy be like, girl, is no question. Comedy uh, has never asked me to change myself. There have been people in comedy who have asked me to change myself, but comedy itself, when I'm on the stage and with the audience, ain't asked me to tone like t- change nothing. But sometimes in my life, my real life, I'm constantly being asked to change or alter this about yourself, you know? So I don't know. So that's why I was just basically saying, like, comedy kind of validates who I am, you know? Yeah. Like, I feel like in my real life, people would have been like, girl, did you hear what you said? But then in comedy, they'd be like, girl, did you hear what you said? Yeah, that was hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, and I I just kind of thank God for it a little bit because I just want to share. I've been a person that's, I don't know why I just want to identify as a person who struggled with suicidal thoughts and stuff. You know, I've been in the dark place, so I'm just saying that this is very refreshing. It's, It's like love, you know, in a sense, and, you know, I don't know. I I really enjoy it, even yeah. though it's very hard. Yeah. It what's what's sort of your writing process kind of like? Do you just kind of do you, do you ha, do you like how do you come up with some of the jokes? Because a lot of them I hear it, it's not it doesn't have to have like a direct punchline for it to be hilarious. <laughs> right? no, for real. It's just the way that you you deliver it. Like yeah. you're you're I get that I feel like is that more of a natural thing your delivery or. Is that something you had to practice? Or? No. Uh, my thing is, I don't always know what I said that was funny. That's That was going to be my challenge when I came into comedy. And they was like, now you just write the punchlines. And I'm like, but I don't even know what the punchline is. Like, you you know, like you say, it's just maybe how I said something. Like, who would have ever thought me saying my husband died would have been funny? That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, so uh, I don't write. That's crazy. I've been wanting to, but because of pre- procrastination, maybe a little ADHD and smoking smoking uh, herbal plants, uh, I can't quite write. You know what I'm saying? So what I do is just practice speaking because I always identified as a, a writer, but I might be an orator too. You know what I'm saying? Like I might I might speak it and have somebody else write it for me. You yeah. know what I'm saying? That makes sense. That that actually, that's how a lot of comics do it, though. Yeah. Like, you know, that's a, a lot of those big name comics do that too. Yeah, a lot of rappers do that too. Like Drake, yeah. he has a lot of people uh, write it for him, and he performs it because he's a better performer. <laughs> yeah, than writer. Yeah. yeah, but I be thinking that I'm a writer, but like, and some of my jokes is you just have to be honest. Like, I got the joke about my son. Um, being homosexual, right? right? And I said that, uh, but when he first told me, it was so funny, because uh, in my mind, like silently, every time he touched something, I was like, homosexual, homosexual, yeah. homosexual, you know? And, then, <laughs> and But I kept it to myself. And then one day I decided to share with him because I was feeling so hurt just personally. I was like, you know, uh, he kept it a secret from me, you know. And then I felt like the Holy Spirit told me that you were keeping a secret from him, too. And what was that secret? That I was saying, homosexual, 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 right. every time he touched something. So I took that honesty and took it to the stage. And I said, uh, you know, that's why I came up with the cocksuckers. That's what the homosexual, it was like cocksuckers, cock grabbers. Yeah. You my chips, get your hand out my chips. Right. You know, when I just was honest about how I felt. 
you know that's that's how I write my jokes. Do you think that now now that's that's interesting that you mentioned that? I guess to uh, sort of like when it comes to your son being gay, how is that? What kind of adjustment has that been? I know you're a woman of faith and. Some of those ideas clash, but it seems like you're an open-minded person, yeah. so y'all are in a good spot. Yeah, cause uh, you know my grandparents were the ones that did all that. I I'm the I'm the kind that have faith, but I don't necessarily have to, necessarily have to find God in the church. Right. You know, I go to church, but I don't like God still talks to me outside of church too. You know, and I I've also experienced church hurt where people in the church hurt you. So. So I'm, I've always been a free thinker. And so my son even thought that I wouldn't be understanding. I don't know why he looked at me and judged me like that, because I do not care about your sexual preference. I just want you to be confident in whatever it is. When my son broke down like that, telling me uh, that he, you know, was having these thoughts, all I wanted to do as a mother was to see him up. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I said, when my son first came out, told me he was gay, I started taking him lunch to work just to make sure you you good. You yeah. <laughs> I ain't never took him I ain't never took him lunch as a heterosexual. You right. Know what I'm <laughs> but, it, those are gay privileges. Yeah, gay privileges. Yeah. You out here trying to be gay now. You yeah. know what I'm saying? You need extra love. I got to put the love on extra now, you know. So it don't clash with my faith. It clashes with his faith. Yeah. My son's faith. That's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, like that's... that's that, I never thought about that. He he say ain't no pride in gay pride. <laughs> right. That's what he say as a gay person. So I like 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 what my what a mother's wish would be for their kid is to just be happy with whatever you choose to do in life. Of course. You don't don't torture yourself about your decisions. You know what I'm saying? You could be bi out here. He wants to be bi. Like whatever you want to do, just do it confidently. Yeah. That's all I care about. But I'm not going to lie, it did hurt me a little bit. And see, that's my secret sauce to comedy. If it hurt me a little bit, like when he told me, that's what made me want to bring it to the stage and practice my day-to-day. I'm like, this is what he told me today, you know, so. Yeah, if you can make things that are painful funny, yeah. that's the best. That's the, I think that's the bread and butter when <laughs> it comes to, to, to comedy. Because, hey. like, a lot of people, they... They think that, oh, anything can just be funny, you know, like, it, but it can't be like a certain, it can't be certain traumatic events. You can't joke about stuff like that. Like, I joke about my dad being dead, like, all the time. And everybody laughs. But, like, a lot of people would say, you can't joke about that. Yeah, no, for real. You know, comics are a, are, are like a peculiar bunch. Because it's like, you know, like, say for we're at the coffee table or a coffee house or something, you can't just walk out, you can't walk up to uh, random people and say, you know what's the funny thing about 9-11? Yeah, no, you can't. Yeah, they wouldn't take too kindly yeah. to it. <laughs> you can only tell, like, other comics or something. Yeah, that's what so, I've yeah. I've liked the most about comedy is just yeah, yeah, right. joking about stuff like yeah. that uh, amongst other people. But overall, you know, like... The thing is with comedy, there are certain out of bounds lines, and we we figured that one out last night. Ha ha ha! At your op- at the uh, yeah, cookie jar open crazy. mic. Yeah, that was crazy. A guy said the n word at the mic last. A white night. guy. A white guy. Yeah. And uh, I didn't really take offense to it because you know how you just asked me about different religions. You know, I've had white people say the n word to me, but not like to me in a derogatory way. Yeah. Like I had a I had a person tell me the n word trying to relate. They was like, oh, I had a I had a black friend before, 
and we were so close, they let me call them the N-word. Right. But they said it. They let me call them, uh, you know. Yeah, I don't think that <laughs> that works for everyone. Yeah, so, and, and initially, I didn't know how to feel because I think I was at a mic before and a guy hit, had said the N-word and I didn't take a stance because I wasn't tripping. I'm, I'm, I'm like a lax person, you know right. what I'm saying? I mean, I could get height, but I'm really chill. And uh, but some people say, nah, you just can't chill on certain things. So if you really look at that video that I uh, posted, you can hear me laughing at the guy. I yeah. was like laughing because he was talking smack. He was saying, um, she told me maybe 20 minutes ago she was gonna put me up. That's what it sounded like to me. He was like, she been telling me I'm gonna go for 20 minutes, you know. Yeah. So I was like, hi, boy, shut up. Yeah. And then he said something else. Then when I heard, you know. It just, I was like, la I was mid laughing, and then I was just like, no, nah, because, like I said, that was everything in comedy for me a little bit is a practice. So that was my first time, like, trying to be like, okay, now, nah, let me go and get the mic. You, I mean, it's crazy. And I see, I'm so, what's the word, like, open? I, what if I wanted to be on some, um, you know, why can't he say it? But, but, because I, you know what I like? I really kind of said, I said, what if he was looking at me? And he felt inspired because, you know, as a woman of color, right. I, could, I, I could dog on, I feel like I can almost say half breed. You know what I'm saying? Right. And not get in trouble. But, like, as a woman of color and a white man, like, we just, I don't know. It's like yeah, we can't the, say the same things. I'm sorry. I don't know. Because I've been, maybe my people have been oppressed. You right. know what I'm saying? And, like, that word was used against us. And then, like, now only we can say it. Like, it's weird out here. Like, we shouldn't even say it. Black people shouldn't even say it. But it's so in my head right now. That's that's how I talk. I'm sorry. You know, because I was just watching the Richard Pryor documentary the other day, and he was saying how when he went to Africa, there was no N-words. So maybe that's just an American thing, you know what I'm saying? And um, so, But to me, it's a spell. What if it's a spell that we're speaking on each other to keep ourselves ignorant? So I, I would maybe one day like to go above the word but myself. But that's why I say I think he was just looking at me and probably looked at me like I was. He was like, man, look how many times she said it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I said, I was like, go Trump. I was over there talking about go. He probably was like, wow. I was like, Mexicans at Home Depot. I mean, you, I'm just like hella offensive, it feel like, you know. Yeah. And uh, so maybe he was like, well, I'm going to try something, you know. And then, you know, what was also messed up is that I tried to encourage him. Like, he was scared to, like, go up. Maybe he was kind of like, no, nah, I'm not going to go up. And I was like, no, go. You know, he had a friend there who was a magician who was trying. Everybody was trying to support him. I really wish if I could go back to that moment, I could. I, I, I wish I could have asked him, right, tell me your joke. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Tell me your joke. Because maybe he knew he had that joke, and that's why he was like, Nah, I don't know, because if you look at the video, he pulled a paper out of his pocket, and he said, this is like the N-word pass. Right. You know, so maybe that was his punchline. Yeah, maybe that was his bit. I, <laughs> I figured he pulled it out of the jar. Cause, no, he didn't pull that out of the jar. Because um, I was there, uh, too. Maybe he did. Yeah. Maybe he did pull it out the jar, and he was like, look. I said, I, what I thought he did was he pulled a paper out of the jar, and it didn't say free N-word pass. I figured no, it was yeah. yeah. I figured it was just a piece of paper, because yeah. that's how your show works. Like, yeah. you have comics come in and pull a topic out, mm -hmm. and then they riff on that topic. I figured he just pulled out a random topic and said, free N-word pass. But, yeah, people do that. Yeah. Sometimes it, like, it could say blue jeans, and it, but they'll say their own topic. Yeah, I yeah. see why people were as pressed about that, though, because I think 
that one guy from Detroit, one of the comics was about to fight him. Oh, uh, yeah, he was very aggressive. Yeah. Uh, that comic is kind of known to be like, I hate white people, you know, right. as his bits a little bit. And so when that happened, yeah, I think that guy got triggered. But if you look at that video, you saw me trying to keep him calm. I was like, hey, 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 yeah, hey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, hey, everybody calm down. Because as a host, I've been learning from some of the people in the game that I've watched, uh, like Leroy and Ray, et cetera, yeah. uh, uh, to maintain peace. Yeah. You know, a host is in control and, you know, you don't want to incite a riot. Donald right. Trump, you know, yeah. so it is it's best that I just try to keep everybody calm so that we can all stay safe, you know. And um, I also learned because at first I didn't even want to kick the guy out. He went back and he sat down. But the hostility was so much in the room to where yeah. I had to ask him. Yeah, you might. Yeah. Go ahead and leave. Yeah, the um what I noticed the first thing um about the when I watched it this morning, I saw it and you hear that, oh, one of that's me, because I was there too. And I was like, I was worried that like just by proxy, yeah. I was like, uh oh, yeah. I better because they might want to like I didn't want to feel like I was on that guy's side or anything <laughs> I was on I was on the defensive and I didn't even say anything I was yeah. like well, I'm with y'all it's yeah. crazy but like I get why people were offended because you know the history the historical context you know I know but you know how they look I'm so like weird a little bit I'm like I know but we're supposed if we're moving forward <laughs> you know what Martin Luther King said freedom for all man right look at that I'm over here trying to just say why couldn't he say it? But because of political, because like you know, the man just trying to try comedy, you yeah. know. But I get it. You you just you can't. I guess you can't. You know, I if it was up to me, I probably wouldn't care. Just like I don't care if my son gay or not. I don't care. Right. You know. But but many do, and that's what somebody told me one time. Like even if it didn't offend me. It, it could offend somebody in my audience because three black people got up and left after that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, people were getting up and leaving. Like, so that's why, like, you can't allow it as a host regardless of how you feel a little bit. So that's what I had to grow into yesterday. If you see the video, you see me growing into big girl draws because I'm kind of like, I know I might look confident and all this. I might be timid. I might be meek. You heard me say I love the Lord. So the, he say this is how you should be. And uh, and I and people assume I'm confrontational, blah blah blah. But really, when I did that Judge Mathis show, that was one of the first times I tried to take a stand for myself. Right. I'm tired of being bullied. I'm tired of people telling me who I'm is and all this here. You know that was, I lost, but it was the first time I took a stand. Yeah, you know that's a moral victory in of itself. You know, and then you see what I'm doing now after that. You know, like because uh, the show didn't give me vindication, like. He didn't, he didn't like, uh, what's the word, validate me. Right. I, that's what I went for. I thought I would get validation. But when he didn't validate me, I was like, oh, Lord, why? And I feel like God said, because I validate you. And so by me losing, it put kind of a hunger in me a little bit to try to win. And so that's why I've been doing all these different talents and stuff, because I just got to, I got to, you know. And um, so, but while I'm on this progress, like, I, I'm validating myself. Like, yeah. that's the ultimate win. So, I'm just saying, so I last night was like another me standing up, you yeah. know, and being like, no. <laughs> yeah, I think that was the best way to respond because if I, I remember, you know, like 
you, there's this has happened before. Mm-hmm. This is not the first time somebody's came up and said that. <laughs> you know, usually they don't do it when the when the audience is more full. But like, <laughs> one dude came up when Cornelius was hosting. I think I was running sound or something. I don't remember. But this dude from New Orleans said it, and oh, that guy. But, yeah, it was a white dude, and there was like two people in the audience, so he just kind of let it go. Mm-hmm. But like when you have a crowd and you have all these other comics that you're depending on to go next, when you go out there and just kill the the energy <laughs> of the room, it, it's I I understand a hundred percent why you you threw him off because like not only is it disrespectful, like a lot of people of color could be hearing that when like in a derogatory way their whole life and get offended. It's just, it, it just kills the energy of the room. Yeah. It was that, it was definitely weird. And uh, I don't know if you heard it also, but I kept apologizing. Like in my stand, I got to be unapologetic. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I'm like, like they say, I'm Loki. I, God forbid I'm too nice out here. Well, I'm like, you can't do that. I mean, I'm sorry, yeah. but you can't do that. Yeah, <laughs> no, and, and I don't, I don't feel as if you have anything to apologize for yeah. because like you can't control what some idiot who's probably been drinking is going to go up and say, and you know the best thing was it wasn't somebody we know that's here uh, yeah. all the time yeah. because i think most people who are here and are regularly doing this know better <laughs> than to go up and, and say stuff like that but yeah. but i heard he was from austin yeah that doesn't surprise <laughs> me but yeah that's crazy but he knew he knows people here because his friends, they were like, Jay Cookie, you were on the Riot Festival, right? Yeah. And, and the guy was like, I performed there too. The girl that he was with performed at the festival too. Yeah, I think they were magicians. Yeah, and contortionists. Yeah. yeah. That That's crazy. Like, I... I don't know. That was just that was a weird night. I was all like, "Oh boy, yeah, it's gonna crazy. be hard to first... follow that guy." <laughs> yeah, but that girl, Precious. Yeah, yeah. We, we did. I, her name wasn't Precious. I'm sorry. It was Princess yeah. uh, from New York. She, uh, well, by way of Flint, Michigan, she definitely helped. You know, level the room back yeah, out. Yeah, she did good. Yeah, she did good. Yeah, yeah. she's. Uh, she's. I don't think she's here uh, that long, but yeah. she's. She's got a lot of good. Ex- she's probably yeah. have to. D- dealt deal with yeah she's from flint michigan yeah she's probably but just being a comic in new york too you've probably had to hear a lot but overall you know it worked out okay yeah you know it it's it's maybe not the end of the world for us the people that are doing comedy here it might be for that guy he's never coming back but you know that it overall it was just an interesting sort yeah. of event that took place and it was just an experience and i didn't feel offended or anything like that like he didn't take me back to no slave days and nothing yeah. like that he sounded i want to almost use the r word like you know retarded yeah uh he's the way he said it you know but i don't know what what he was going in his joke i think he was just a drunk guy <laughs> i don't he didn't even get me drunk a little bit but maybe yeah maybe. that it was it was strange though i like um, I, I was like my pearls were clutched the moment it happened, and that's I've yeah I've heard that three times happen now at Secret Group, but this overall year? yeah just this January yeah well <laughs> going into last year too, okay, but the yeah. other time I saw it, there was a a Hispanic woman that went up. She was yeah. one of Koo's friends, and she Uh-oh. said it, 
and Nitra was pissed. Miss oh. Nitra was pissed off. I looked over, I was running sound. I was like, could she say that? And Nitra was like, no, I'm about yeah, to say something about because it. Because that's uh, like Cardi B. Cardi B is what, Dominican? or I don't know her ethnicity, but it to me it's not black. It looks something of Spanish descent. And she says the N-word in her songs all the time. Yeah. And I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. Because uh, as a woman of color, like, we we have to compete with non-black women that right. want black men. So they, it's like, it's, it's just so weird. And then they want black men, but they still colorist. Like, they don't like black women. Right. So that's what I'm saying, like. I don't. That's why I don't think that a person like her, just because you're sleeping with a black man, and you're and you're not black, you shouldn't say the word. Right. You know, you shouldn't say the word. I feel like the 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 rules and the of like the social the social societal rules of the word are pretty black and white. No pun intended. <laughs> that was good. That was pretty good. Thank you. I feel like if if you aren't. A, a a black American, I don't feel like you you you're it's gonna go over too well if you say it, and I feel like that's just common sense nowadays. We've seen so many people, you know, ha- fall into issues, but really and truly, I, I I don't know. For me personally, I don't wake up in the morning and say, "Oh, this is an outrage." Like I <laughs> like I don't understand <laughs> why so many people that are not black feel the the need to say it. Ha. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, because maybe it's cool. It's in their favorite songs. Yeah. You know, and they're just like, ah, this song would hit so much harder if I could just say this word in this in this line. I have this joke <laughs> to where I'm all like, I won't even say it if I'm listening in my car because I'm worried Alexa's listening. Yeah, she's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, I mean, for me personally, it's it's never really been my fight, but overall... To see the reaction it elicited yesterday just kind of reminded me to yeah. steer clear. I, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit more about comedy, too. Like, what, what's what been your favorite moment that comedy has kind of blessed you with? Like, I know you were doing some stuff with Just Britney and all that. Oh, yeah, that was cool. And, um, yeah, see, now, I met Just Britney because I was doing a comedy. Well, I... I met the salon. There's a salon, Celebrity Braves Houston, shout out to them, that hold these events. And that salon had did these braids right here in my hair. Nice. For a show that I was going to do in Galveston. At, uh, it was like a New Year's Eve show. The Eve before the Eve show I had. They did my nails and everything for that show. I got to meet Brother Man from Martin. Oh, nice. So, yeah. like, like, if you want to say one, what's the most coolest thing about comedy for me, is that like comedians, and I don't know, maybe I heard Jerry Seinfeld say this, but I, I agree. I don't know who really said it, but like comedians are not like musicians, meaning like Beyonce ain't gonna walk in your local club. No. But like Kevin Hart might. Like, yeah. so what I'm saying is like some people that I really love and adore and might have only saw on like a social media type setting type thing, I'm getting to meet in real life, you know? And so, yeah, those people had uh, the event with just Britney, and um, I was just there to support and maybe meet her. But yeah. I have such a personality to where I uh, I was telling Britney what I told her on the mic behind the scenes. I was like, girl, because 
Cause I, I I I I like underdogs. I don't know. I really hate when people receive a lot of hate, and I just really like to see those people win, you know. And so I just want to encourage her and let her know that she. And then she told me, "You should say that on the mic." Yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> sure. Uh, at first I was, at first I was like, "Nah," but then I was like, "Let me go on here and get this moment, baby." I told my daughter, "Hold the camera." Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Like she knew exactly what. Like uh, she wanted you to kind of. Say that a little yeah. bit louder for yeah. Her. yeah. Give up. Somebody get his lady a mic. Yeah, that's cool though that yeah. y- you were able to do that. That was cool. And you know, I made a joke uh, the following week, and I say I done something a lot of y'all ain't never did. I gave just Britney her flowers. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, a lot of people have given her um, sort of a, a rough go yeah. about like uh, I. I'm still trying to figure. I I know her as like a singer mm-hmm. and a rapper, mm-hmm. but I don't know too much about her backstory. Like, well, one of the reasons, in my opinion, why she probably receives a lot of hate is because you know she used to date the rapper Zero. Yeah. Okay. I knew that. Yeah. Okay. So did you hear about the abuse that she endured? By no, the I didn't hear about that. Yeah, like she filed a case like with the police against uh, the rapper, and she alleged that he beat the crap out of her the dog s-h-i-t right you know but nobody believed believed her because uh that's our favorite rapper you know and so yeah he did most city daunt you know what i'm saying they like what and if he did hit you you deserved it like you know but i think that's probably uh here, here i go uh with Something that women of color have to deal with, not being believed. Because if you look at Megan Thee Stallion, it was the same thing. Yeah, you know what with I'm saying? Tory Lane. Well, you yeah. are clearly saying somebody abused you, but you deal with the masses of saying, uh, we don't believe you, you know? And so, yeah. So Black History Month is coming next month. And so uh, during the month of uh, Black History for me, at least since I've been a comic, I practice uh, black like jokes. <laughs> That's cool. That's <laughs> I mean, an interesting process, yeah. It, I feel like it gives me a freedom, you know, because it's Black History Month. I mean, what other month can I, like, really go in and practice these kind of jokes? Because remember I told you, it's from a hurt, you know, my my jokes. So I just, you know, I just don't like how, like, you know, they just don't don't believe. But then, and then I don't like how, like, in my community, they praise non-black people. You know what I'm saying? And um, it's just so weird out here. So by by praising, not like, could could you, I guess, expand? Elaborate. Okay. So what I mean is white privilege can even go into dating, especially like as a woman of color. I date black men most of the time. But a lot of black men don't want to date black women. Why? Because they identify black women as traumatized. Right. Right. And I don't I don't like that because you see, you just saying that because of my skin. You don't know what the hell I don't been through. Yeah. And maybe I have been in trauma. But my daughter, she 13. She ain't been in no trauma. But I bet y'all gonna say she trauma. So a black girl and a black woman are two different things because right. a black girl grows up innocently in this world in a sense where a black woman get blamed for everything. And I don't like that. I just found out I was black three uh, years ago when Kevin Samuels was here. So I knew I was black all my life, but I didn't know I was black. You know yeah. what I mean? It's because I'm getting older. You know, I'm almost 40 now. And uh, so white privilege can even go into the dating world because all these like non-black women want a black man. They, they say, I want something different. I don't want my own. You know, it's weird to hear them say this. 
And then, um, and then black men they go with the non-black woman because they're like she's less trauma. You yeah, know? she she hasn't been through the trauma that you have been through. So Black History Month, I may be trying to practice a joke where I say, you know, it's kind of unfair that they call black women trauma when the white women traumatized. You know, like if you that's fair, the ancestors, yeah. y'all ancestors traumatized. Like, if I am traumatized, it's because of y'all. Or, why do uh, like I don't I don't like how black men be praising white women like Emmett Till didn't get killed for right. uh, whistling at a white yeah, lady? That's a good the point. The Tulsa massacre, the whole town got destroyed. Why? Because a black man whistled at a white lady, you know what I'm saying? And like, uh, you know, women used to scream rape. Even the movie Rosewood, same thing happened. So then now these same women get to parade around as though they less trauma, you know, up in in my face. Like, I went to the rodeo last year. Every black man I saw had a white or non-black woman. And then they leave black women like me. They, they say undesirable, undateable. I'm looking like a single mother at right. the doggone rodeo. Where's my man? You know what I'm saying? Why they don't want to date me? Why they calling me unattractive? And then when I say I'm unattractive, they're like, no, you're beautiful. Like, you know, they don't want the water to get in my ship and sink it, you know. So I've been just trying to figure out how to speak out a little politically. Because if you, if you do the history of some black comics, uh, they kind of go political. One person I'm thinking of in particular is Dick Gregory. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And um, and basically you just talk about your experience and then somehow you become an activist in it because, you know, especially if you want to bring about real change, you know, and I don't know what comedy can take me, but uh, I feel like God let me see this whole, like, African-American thing, this this whole thing, and then he gave me a mic. So I don't think he did it to hurt me. But he just, you know, I don't know what it's about. I don't want to be this black. Like, I don't want to be, like, pro-black, talking black. But the only reason I'm exploring it right now is because I have felt the pain. You right. Know? And, I, and, like, and being a person of color, I really be feeling like if you never cried about your race, I don't know, have you ever cried about being your skin color? I don't think so. Yeah, you know, so I, I have. Yeah, it's definitely different, you know. Yeah. You, you're. I can never, like, I can never truly say see what your life is like because i'm not you i'm not i, I being a white person yeah, it's not terrible though yeah it, that's good that, that you're that it's not terrible yeah, i gotta stay positive I, I like to count my blessings you know because for a person of color way back in the gap it was worse yeah so, and and, and yeah. i gotta say like that i i get what you're saying a little bit more now when you mention how the way that black women are portrayed it yeah. seems like you know, coming from somebody that grew up with you in that situation, it it would hurt more. I'd, I I could see where that would hurt more. Yeah. So that that makes a lot of and, sense. And like I said, like you said, um, you can't live like me to know. Yeah. And I can't live outside of this to know. Yeah. Because uh, a realization I've been going on in my life, I'm like, can people be treating me? Because, you know, in elementary, they told me, you know, like racist Rosa Parks sat down, Martin Luther King March, and we live happily ever after. I thought the stuff was over. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And now here I am at like 35, 36. You know, I'm just constantly getting smacked because when you when when you're black like me, it's like it's not a costume. I can't take it off. I don't know if people will treat me better. And now it's making me examine my whole life. Have my whole life y'all been treating me like I'm black? Because you know, some people when I'm trying to talk to them, like educated, 
they kind of treat me like I'm not educated. Like, how could you possibly know that? See, I don't know if that's because I'm a woman or is it because I'm colored. See, I'm both. You know what I'm saying? So, so sometimes I feel like it's a little bit, I be having to fight like 40% more harder. But at the end of the day, it ain't just about my race, but I, I live this race. So it's, you know, I try to speak out on my experience because I know that we all go through something, whether you're white, whether you're Jew, whether you're uh, Nazi, whether you're whoever, you know, we all go through something and, and it's our human job to just be able to get along, you know, like understand different perspectives. You know, my one professor told me, she said, you don't go to the grocery store and just get a basket full of oranges, right? No, you go get oranges, apples, grapes, strawberries, you know, so why can't we be like that with people? Why do we want to hang with just one kind of people? You know what I'm saying? So I'm I'm, I'm definitely not trying to be like, oh, black, but it, it has been an experience for me, and I'm just trying to figure out what to do with my content. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, and it, it yeah. seems to be working well. Like, a lot of people have really responded well. I remember that show you did at LT's. I thought it was that was really good to watch. I, I, I told you I think that was the best show I'd see, or hey. set I'd seen you do. And, and you know, I'm so silly. That video is in a vault somewhere. Yeah. I need to, like, put it on my YouTube. Yeah, oh, you but, because, like, I think people can relate to sort of what you've gone through, you know, and you can speak for a lot of people, sort of like I can speak for some people that yeah. are like autistic and yeah. stuff. Like and, only you can. Yeah. Right. And 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 that and that's what I thought was so great about it. And that's why I wanted to have you on is yeah. because like you have such a unique perspective yeah. that a lot of people can't say. Like a lot of people can go up there and have the best material written by the best people, but if you put somebody up there with no life experience or no interesting story to tell, it's not going to be funny. It's just right. going to be just some guy speaking <laughs> the material. Yeah. So I think that's what I liked the most about your comedy Thank you, is Trey. that you're, you're so able to, to be your own self. Right. A lot of people can't do that. I'm that, and but that's why I go out and practice. Like a lot of people want to try comedy, and they might come out once a week or something like that. And even if people come out multiple times, sometimes they still just don't have it. But what I'm saying is, you can't come out once. Like even if you have a natural gift, you still got to come out and practice how yeah. to say it. You know, because you know, even though LTS was great, you probably you probably didn't see the time I ran into the wall. You know, you know, you got to run into the wall to get a great show. You know, yeah, hundred so, percent. Yeah, so yeah, I just be outside practicing it. Yeah, practicing, yeah. Well, this has been a really good conversation. No, we've, for real. We've covered a lot of topics, yeah. um, and I, I've been I've been really excited to to record this interview today. Yeah. And I'm thankful you were able to make it. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, look, when uh, when I when I posted that video and you hit me up, I knew we was gonna talk about that N word. Yeah. <laughs> he... But no, nah, you uh, and I just want to sing your praises too uh, for whatever your autism is or whatever. You are one of the most intelligent people I know. That's how I feel. Like, your jokes are very clever. Like, even looking at what you're doing up in here, you're doing something better than uh, what uh, regular people could do, like people that don't have a disorder. You know what I'm saying? So I'm always amazed at that. You know, every now and then, your autism does peak out. Like, yeah, remember yeah. when, you remember when the uh, the self-driving car, yeah. you was like, there it is. Every yeah. time you just randomly go right to it, that was funny. But uh, other than that, <laughs> you know, when a train come by, you'd be like, train! Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think you're really cool. 
Yeah. I yeah, think, no worries. I think I, th- I think you're really cool as well. And so I, I, I'm, I'm really glad that we, we linked up. But see, that's comedy, though. It's yeah. very universal. It's a universal language. Yeah. So we speak the same language, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. So before we go, do you have anything you kind of want to talk? Like maybe you got a, a show coming up or you want to like plug your socials or anything? Right. If you want to follow me, you can follow me. Find me on Instagram at J period cookie. So don't spell out nothing. It's the letter J, a dot. Okay. Like the end of a sentence. Because even if you say dot, people spell out yeah, dot. D-O-T, yeah, D-O-T. I hate these people. Yeah. You, you be like period. They be like P-E-R. Yeah. The, 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 the dot at the end of the sentence. It seems like it'd be self-explanatory. Oh, my God. But J dot cookie underscore official on IG. Uh, you can find me at j.cookie on YouTube. You can find me um, at Julia Cook on Facebook. But look, there's two women named Julia Cook. It's a white bitch, too. She's an yeah. author. <laughs> Not her. Uh, you, If you put Julia Cook and then also put J. Cookie, I should pull up. That's good, yeah. Yeah, Julia Cook, J. Cookie. That's, that's what I do. As for shows... I probably got stuff going up. I mean, look, I got so much ADD and my calendar is not arranged. I don't be knowing what's going on half the time. Um, I can't even think of no upcoming shows. I know on Monday night, I'm, I'm going to be at the secret group every Monday. If y'all want to pull up, I host an open mic. The cookie jar is really fun. And um, so I'm doing that 10 o'clock on Mondays. If, you, if you're a comic, you want to sign up. Sign up start at nine, um, but you gotta you gotta rush to sign. I mean, I'm telling you, when I drop that paper at nine oh two, uh, it's thirty deep, thirty yeah. people deep. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Gets, it gets filled up quickly, and, and people be trying to cry. They like, oh, sorry, sorry. You know, I, you gotta get there early. Yeah, I don't know what to tell you, baby. So, yeah. so I I do that every Monday, and um, but for the most part, you gonna catch you can catch me at an open mic. Any one of these open mics in the city. And because uh, I might go to a couple more open mics tonight, and um, and that's what I do. Like even if I don't have a show, you gonna see me at an open mic somewhere. Yeah, for sure. You so. you never. It's always the on air lights always on. Ha ha ha! Nah, for real. Yeah, you got to. Yeah, you got to. Well, well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been the main Ooh. entree. Um, hey. Have a good evening, a good afternoon, good morning, or whenever the hell you're listening. We'll talk to you next week. Woo! Bye. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.